We're going to be in 3 John. I'm going to preach through the whole book of 3 John tonight. But don't worry, we'll be out of here before midnight, I feel sure. I want to preach on the subject, shepherding in the church, meaning that all of us can shepherd. Now, there is a chief shepherd. There is a shepherd who is the pastor of the church, but all of us should be able to shepherd, help shepherd the flock of God. Now, sheep tend to wander, and they need a shepherd. Sometimes sheep are in trouble. Sometimes sheep hurt. They need, a, they need a shepherd. I don't know how many times it's been in my 20 plus years of, of beekeeping that I've had, a, had swarms of bees to happen at the most inopportune times. When, when I had several hives of bees, usually in the spring of the year is when they swarm. That's how they reproduce. The, uh, the old queen will leave the hive and leave the new young queen with the old hive. The old queen will take half of the bees and fly away and go find a new home in a hollow tree or an old gas tank or bucket or something to make their new home. And sometimes, you know, if I'm expecting a swarm and I've got a new hive set up, ready to go, it's already got the frames and the honeycomb in it and ready for the bees to move into, and it's at a Good time of day, it's not a big problem to get those bees into a new hive and you've got another hive of bees. And I don't know how many times it's been that maybe just as I'm getting ready to go to church, I see a swarm out there hanging on a limb of a tree. And they don't stay there forever. If you don't, if you don't get them in a hive pretty soon, they may just fly off into the wild blue yonder and you'll never see that swarm of bees again. And sometimes I've come in late in the evening, just at sunset, and the bees would be hanging on a low limb there in my orchard. And if you just leave them there overnight, early the next morning, they'll probably take off. So the idea is you want to house those bees, a swarm, as soon as you can if you want to save them. I have housed some of those new bees late in the evening. Now, bees don't like to be tampered with at dark and after sundown they can really <laughs> be offended when you mess with them and you know what they do when they're offended <laughs> and so there's been a few times when I have a swarm happen right at dark and so yank on the bee suit real quick throw together some equipment to try to get them in the box and go out there and and I would wonder, now, are they going to sting me really, really bad? Am I willing to endure this? But they need a home. I don't want them to go off and get in an old hollow tree somewhere and the wind blow it over and then they die. They're better off. The bees are better off if a beekeeper puts them in a hive where he can tend to them and keep them. And uh, old trees blow over in the wintertime a lot of times and they freeze to death in the middle of winter. I'd go out there in late evening and put, take that, limb, if it's low enough and I can reach it, cut it off and put it right over the uh, empty hive and give it a shake or brush it off and the bees just drop straight down into the top of that hive and if you get the queen and she's usually in the, somewhere in the center of that cluster, there might be a cluster about the size of a football and if that queen is in that cluster and you drop them in that hive suddenly, the queen is not really usually wanting to fly around, she's wanting to kind of take up residence somewhere. 
And so if you get the queen in the hive, and I've done this a lot of times at dark, put them in there and wonder. I don't know if I got the, hive, uh, the queen in the hive or not. I'm guessing maybe I did. And so shake them off in the hive, go to bed, get up the next morning, go down there and look. And sure enough, as those bees all went in the hive, the queen was there. The next morning, they're settled down, they're calm, they're leaving one by one. They're flying out, going to the flowers and bringing in the nectar, and they've already made that hive their new home. Well, a shepherd of sheep does sort of the same thing. He's just dealing with sheep instead of bees, and the good thing about sheep is they don't sting. <laughs> and as that comparison leads to another comparison, Christians need a home like bees need a home and like sheep need a place to stay. And so Christians need a place and our local church is generally the place where Christians need to be. I'm not saying this, that they have to be in this local church, but they ought to be in some local church because that's where people learn and grow and serve the Lord. That's his plan. That's the way he made it. Jesus died for the church. And so the local church is his invention, his concept, not mine or not yours. And so when people wander and the flock gets scattered, they need somebody who will love them and care for them and even at inconvenient times go and gather them up and bring them back in because a sheep, a lamb, left to itself outside the flock is more prone to be attacked by the wolf. And so that's why we bring Christians into the church so they're less prone to be attacked by the roaring lion that seeks whom he may devour. Well, with that preface, let's look at 3 John and read it. 3 John, the first verse, we see such a shepherd in the man Gaius. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now there, that verse kind of gives a little bit of hint that God wants us to be healthy. So remember that when you're eating Thanksgiving. <laughs> For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now he's saying, John is saying to this group of people, which we would assume would be a local church, if you're anchored into a local church, which is called in the Bible the pillar and ground of truth, are you with me? The pillar and ground of truth. There's all kinds of cults out there, all kinds of movements, there are all kinds of YouTube videos, there's all kinds of... of organizations, parachurch organizations, lots of things that will purport to take the place of the church, but God invented the church. And so it's the place of the pillar and ground of truth. And John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so if the children of God are going to, if they're going to be grounded in the truth, they're going to come nearer to being satisfactorily in, in ground, grounded and engrafted in the word if they are in the local church. And, and just like you want your children to walk in truth, do you not? Christians want their, Christian parents want their children to grow up to serve the Lord and to live for the Lord and maintain the truth. 
Well, John's that way about these people here. Verse 5 says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Now I'm not going to replace that word fellow helpers because that's what our King James Bible says, but I think we can say that a shepherd, all of us being shepherds of the truth, could be fellow helpers to the truth. Verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. So here's, here's a bad dude in the church trying to make himself the focus of what's going on in the church instead of letting the church be the church. And he said, And forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, <coughs> but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet our friends by name. Father, we pray that you would bless in this time when we gather around your word to find your instruction, your guidance, your exhortation. And Lord, may it be evident in our hearts by the actions that follow. Lord, that we will heed the truth that's contained herein that we've just read. I pray that you'd bless us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was reading about a Scottish shepherd and he was telling somebody else how a shepherd did his sheep. He said, I, when I, one of my sheep, he said, a sheep need guidance and sometimes they wander off. And he said, sometimes one of them will, will jump from the edge of a bluff down to another ledge which is about 10 feet below. Now these are common sheep. These are not, we're talking about farm sheep, not mountain goats, not mountain sheep. And he said that sometimes they'll jump down because it's easy for them to jump down and they'll get on a ledge down there and they'll get trapped. And there's a deep precipice below and they'll be killed if they go any further, but yet they can't get back up that 10-foot stretch. He said, so what shepherds do is wait for a good while till that sheep has come to the end of itself and it's getting to be miserable and it wants back up, then the shepherd will go and rescue the sheep. The guy said, well, why don't you just immediately go rescue the sheep as soon as it falls over the edge, jumps down there that 10-foot ledge, why don't you get it then? He said, because the sheep is just a little bit of a different animal. He said, if the shepherd were to jump down there immediately, that sheep would try to, because it's kind of running, being a, re a rebellious sheep, it would jump over the precipice because it'd be scared that the shepherd's going to rescue it too quickly and it'll jump to its death. He says, so we leave the sheep down there until it's ready 
to be rescued. And when it's, when it's seen that it's not going to prosper, it can't go down further and it can't go up and it's just stuck there, then the shepherd goes and rescues the sheep and the sheep's willing to be rescued. We're talking about shepherding in the church and in a similar fashion, every church member can be a shepherd that goes out and cares for the sheep. We're not talking about being authoritative dictators. We're talking about being one who loves the sheep and wants to help the sheep and brings the sheep back into the fold. Notice that in 3 John, <laughs> we see some description of what a, what a biblical shepherd would be. Now we think, of, we think of Moses. Moses kept the sheep on the backside of the desert for 40 years before he was called by God to go and lead the children of Israel out and be the shepherd to millions of Jews as he led them through the wilderness. God let him herd real sheep first. And lots of sheep pictures appear all through the Bible. Jesus himself said, I am the great shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. And he shepherds, the Bible says he's the shepherd of our souls. And so before he left, he told his disciples something. He said, as my father has sent me, so send I you. So that brings the application down. Whatever Jesus was doing to see after the flock, he left the disciples, you and me, to do the job in his absence while he is in heaven. And so I want us to think tonight about being a shepherd and to look at Gaius being this kind of a person. <clears throat> he, first of all, is a genuine caretaker. He's a genuine caretaker, a shepherd of souls. He said in verse number one, unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, and he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prosperous. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. <clears throat> and this, this Gaius was the kind of fellow who would be a shepherd. He was just a guy who loved the sheep, loved the church members, loved the children of God. And he was a shepherd of souls. He, he was loved by John and other godly Christians. If we love people, they're more, more likely to respond. When people go outside and they begin to tamper with the world, we can go out there, we could go out and scold them and try to scold them back into church. But just like a sheep trapped on that ledge is spooked by the shepherd jumping down there to rescue him, Sometimes people who have chosen to go out and leave behind that protection they had in the local church, sometimes they begin to think defensively. And if you go, come on too strong, you may scare them away further. So this man was loved because he loved others. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I... I witnessed something the other night that I'll probably never, ever forget. You'll think it's something small, but to me and him, I think it was a big thing. Harrison is 
the closest grandchild we've ever had to live beside of us where we could cuddle him and hold him and see him on a daily basis. The other grandkids are out of state and long ways off and we never, we just got to see them as visitors and so they kind of saw us as some distant relative that they didn't really get to know very well. And so Harrison's next door. We get to see him every day. And when Harrison comes over, he, he reaches out his hands. He wants to be with Papa. He loves to sit with me. I'll sit in the recliner. Now, I think he loves me mostly because I've got a table beside my chair where I keep a bunch of, well, my wife would say junk. I started to say articles. <laughs> but I've got my AirPods Pro there and my hearing aid case is there. And I sometimes have keys there and, and just different articles, things that, that a baby his size are interested in. You know, he's, he's not interested as, as much in formal official toys as he is stuff. He likes cardboard boxes, empty water bottles, and things like that. When he comes over, he'll reach out for me to take him, and I'll, I'll cross my legs when I'm sitting in my recliner. I'll cross my legs like this, and that makes him a little nest to sit in right there. So he leans back against my knee like a recliner, and when he's sitting there, we'll visit for a little while, and <clears throat> then he'll turn around, and he'll start looking at stuff on that table. And so we got to go through all those items one at a time. I'll let him play with stuff. I mean, I don't let him tear anything up. I'll let him borrow my, my $300 AirPods Pro case. <laughs> you know, you do things like that, don't you? And so let him play with that stuff. We go through all that, and then pretty soon, you know, he's, he's ready to get down on the floor. And, and one of us is wore out. I don't know if it's me or him uh, by sitting there. And so I'll put him down on the floor. And I had my laptop computer there a few days ago. The laptop computer was laying up against a cushion there on the floor right by my feet. I laid it down there and stood it up on its edge. That's, that's what I do. I don't know why I do that, but I, I lay it up on the edge like that, and it's just uh, easy to tip over if a little one got a hold of it. And laptop's not huge, but it's heavy enough. It could bump the little fellow's noggin. And so I put him down on the floor. He's crawling around playing with stuff, and I'm, I've always talked very gentle to him. He knows Papa loves him. He knows that. And he knows that I'm going to be speaking words of kindness to him instead of being sharp and mean. And so he, he's got a tender heart. And so he thinks all he can expect out of Papa is kindness and sweet words. <laughs> well, don't you think of me that way? And so he's crawling around down in the floor and playing with different things. And he comes over there to that laptop that's leaning up against that cushion. And the first thing I'm thinking is that <laughs> he's reaching up to get a hold of the edge of it. And he's going to tip it over and it's going to hit him right in the face. <clears throat> well, I didn't yell at him. And I didn't even talk harsh. But he knew it was a quiet sternness that he wasn't used to. And I said, no, don't touch that. And look here, he looked at me, and I could see the hurt in his eyes. He was wounded because Papa didn't talk this way. And he laid his little face on the ground, on the floor, laid his little face there and started to cry. And I didn't even talk loud or harsh to him. Why did he do that? It broke his heart because he thought he disappointed me. And he knew that that stern voice was different than what he'd heard before. He knew that the rule of Papa was kind words 
I love you. I'm going to protect you. That's what he's used to. And when he heard no, it stopped him. And yesterday, this was a couple of days after that first happened, I had my computer up there again. <laughs> and uh, he saw it there, and he crawled over to it. And just before he got to it, he looked up at me. And he looked down at the computer, and he's put his finger out and got about an inch from it. He didn't touch it. He got about an inch from it. And he looked up at me. I didn't smile. I just looked at him. And he pulled his finger back. Now, here's what I'm saying. When people that are saved go outside of the protections of the church and they begin to wander in the world, you can go out and scold them and say, you backslidden rascal, why don't you get back in church? But you probably won't get them back in church that way. You can love them back in the church. I'm not saying agree with their sin. If they're in sin, you don't agree with it. You don't say, well, that's great. But at the same time, if they detect, listen, if they detect that you love them and you care for them and you don't want them to be hurt by the world, you're more likely to win them back into the fold than you are by being scolding and mean-spirited about it. Now, there's preaching that comes across the pulpit maybe at times when there's sternness, when there's a strong preaching that's needed, but that's to a crowd instead of looking down at one person and focusing on them. And while I have been accused in the past of being focused on one person, I can promise you I don't design a sermon to preach to one person. I mean, we've got other people too. And so when we're trying to love somebody back to the Lord, the kinder we are. What did Paul say? He said, we were, we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now, if Paul was that way, I think you and I could be that way too, couldn't we? Well, he was a genuine caretaker. He was a shepherd of souls. He was loved by others because they knew he loved them. During 1745, 1746, David Brainerd traveled to minister to the Indians near Trenton, New Jersey. Now this is when it was all a wild frontier even in the northeast. And a hundred Indians or better came to him in that region and he poured out his life and his ministry into those Indians. Were they dangerous? Some of them were. But they sensed that he loved them and he cared for them and he worked tirelessly with those Indians to try to win them to Christ. And as a young man, he had tuberculosis. He, he actually stayed in the home of Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, in his last days because he wasn't able to go back out into the wild anymore and try to win the Indians. And he died as a very young man from tuberculosis. It was an inconvenient thing for him to try to shepherd people, but he was willing to do the inconvenient thing. And I'm saying to you and me, there are people who walk out the doors and maybe they even have a bitter spirit when they leave, but we ought to try to love them. We ought to try to love them back to Christ. We ought to try to win them back to the church. And it's all for the sake of the Lord. The Lord wants them. You and I were not very lovely when he saved us. We may not be very lovely today, but he still loves us and we can do 
the same. To love them back to the Lord. He had been loyal to the truth. He says, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. The way to shepherd people, and we can all shepherd people. I mean, the preacher can go and try to chase people down and try to love them back to the Lord, but they expect that from me. What if members went out to those who are straying? And I'm not saying they're all, just because they're not here in church doesn't mean they're necessarily out there in deep sin, getting drunk, doing drugs, and running wild. But if they just wandered from the Lord a little bit, maybe they wandered out of the church, what would they think if a member came and showed some love and care to them? Maybe they would they think, well, he's professionally supposed to do this, so I know he's here. <clears throat> but what if you went? What if we all shepherded the people that are saved? But maybe they've wandered a little bit. Well, John says, you guys have been holding on to the truth, and that's good. That's the way it ought to be. Sometimes we may go about doing things. I've heard of, I've heard of preachers, when we're talking about holding on to the truth, and Brother Paul and Miss D knows this, it's been a lot of years now that, that uh, we've had different preachers in and out. I try to know something about a preacher before I put him in the pulpit. I've heard of preachers who've had other preachers in their pulpit, and he'd get in the middle of a sermon and say something that wasn't right, and the pastor would get up and make him sit down because he said something was wrong. I wonder if it wouldn't be better if we found out beforehand... <laughs> And instead of embarrassing them and making them feel terrible right in the middle of a sermon, I would, how I would handle that or like to handle that would be if I had a preacher that I thought I knew what he believed and he, and he got up and said some things that was wrong instead of embarrassing him and using a sledgehammer to kill the fly on somebody's head. You know, you don't want to do that, right? Uh, instead of using a sledgehammer, at, after it's over, explain to the congregation the truth, instead of just trying to nail him on the spot and make him feel crazy for even being there. Gaius was held in high esteem by John, and he had a, he'd built a testimony of hospitality and charity, <clears throat> verse 5 and 6. Hospitality and charity. I think that goes a long way with winning people back who've wandered away. If we show them, when they come in the door, listen, here, I've said this so many times, but it's still, we let it slip sometimes. Somebody's been out of church for a while. Maybe they're not going anywhere. It's not that they found something that they like better. They're just not going anywhere. And after a long time, they come back in the front door. And if somebody walks up to them and says, well, where have you been? <laughs> that probably doesn't make them feel very well accepted. Instead of saying, where have you been? Are you backslidden or what? I was like, man, brother, it sure is good to see you. And let it go. I mean, they don't, they don't have to give us an explanation. Now, maybe they will, but that's up to them. They don't want to come back in and get a third degree 
you know, like the old, uh, the old movies where the detective uh, has got the criminal arrested and they pull a light down in his face and say, now talk! <laughs> you know, we don't want to do them that way, but show them hospitality and charity. That's the way we shepherd. 1 Thessalonians 2.7 is where Paul said, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now look at a figure opposite of Gaius. We need to look at, sometimes you don't know what something good is until you see something bad. And they say at, at a bank, I don't know if this is so or not, I've heard it repeated a lot of times, they say at a bank that the tellers are trained to just handle real money instead of letting them feel counterfeit money. That way, when they feel the real money, they know what it is. And if the counterfeit comes along, because they've already known what the good one is, they feel the counterfeit money and they know something's not right. And we see here a counterfeit. Verse number 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Do you see how, how this guy wouldn't be a very good shepherd? Diotrephes? He wanted to have the preeminence. He wanted it to be about him. And a good shepherd is not so concerned about himself as he is the sheep. In fact, Jesus said a good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Now, he did lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. We might not have to die for a wayward church member, but he ought to know we love him. And Diotrephes was the one who wanted to make everything about himself. He wanted to be the chief cook and bottle washer. <clears throat> he was a glaring dominator. He wanted to be in control. I've seen this happen so many times in churches over the years, heard about it, when a church has been doing good and then suddenly somebody comes along and joins the membership who wants to control things and begins to and work in the background or maybe right up in the forefront trying to gain control, a power struggle. And that church suffers because divisions begin, as it was in 1 Corinthians. Remember that? Divisions. When we have power struggles within, our shepherding ability is not going to be very great. And that's exactly what this guy was. He was a snake in the grass. He was self-important. He was domineering and promoting himself. He rejected those who were trying to live faithfully and stick to the truth. He was a critic of God's servants. I saw a couple of videos of another preacher who shall remain nameless in this sermon uh, who was very critical of other independent Baptist preachers. In fact, he's not only been critical of their methods, he's been so critical he even accuses many independent Baptist preachers of just being lost. They're, they're headed for hell. And when somebody takes that kind of attitude towards others of the same type of faith, man, we tear up the, tear up the body of Christ and do much harm. That's what Diotrephes was. He was the negative example of what to avoid in shepherding. 
So what did, what did uh, Gaius have? He had a godly example. He had a good testimony in general. <clears throat> Look about Demetrius <clears throat> in verse number 12. It said, Demetrius hath good report of all men. That's a testimony. That's a testimony. Somebody stands true to the, stands true to the word, but they're not mean-spirited and arrogant, authoritarian. Said Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. He was known for upholding the truth. He had a good testimony, and every church needs to have a Demetrius or two or a hundred good shepherding Christians. We're kind of like shepherds or maybe even like a sheepdog over on the foster chapel out the road where I live. There's a couple of, I think they're Australian shepherds. I'm not sure. Are they Australian shepherds? And they live at this house about halfway to our home. And uh, you can tell they've got shepherding in their soul. Those dogs got shepherding because when the cars pass, they want to come out and herd the cars into the fold. <laughs> and so I have to hit the brakes to dodge them every once in a while because they want to shepherd the car. Christians ought to be shepherds watching when somebody slips away a little bit and not go and scold them, but to befriend them, to love them, take them a gift, take them a pie, bake them a cake, take them out to lunch, do something with them. And if we do that as a group, we'll all be shepherding together and they will likely... There's no guarantees if somebody just decides they don't want to have anything to do anymore with the church or with the fellowship. Some, you can't salvage all of them. I've tried over the years, and some just can't be salvaged. They don't want to be salvaged. Like that sheep on the shelf. <laughs> They're just not going to be able to climb back up, or at least they don't see themselves doing it. But if we love them back to the Lord, we've done our job as a shepherd. Teenagers can be a shepherd. When somebody walks in the door, another teenager walks in the door, maybe a visitor, the first thing that ought to happen instead of the preacher going and shaking their hand, that's good. Or another member going and shaking their hand, that's good. But the first thing that ought to happen, another teenager ought to zero in on them and say, boy, I'm good. And it doesn't have to be a pretty girl, guys. <laughs> Any teenager that comes in, another teenager should zero in, home in on them like a GPS and land right smack dab in front of them and say, boy, glad you're here today. What's your name? Where do you live? What's going on? And uh, make them feel at home. I had a call from, a, from another preacher in another state telling me that there's a couple that's moving here from far, far away, and they're looking for a church, and he, he's trying to guide them. This other pastor I've never met before, he just found us, I guess, on the Internet, and uh, he's trying to guide that young couple here. And I said, we got some other young couples about their age, and I think, they will, I think they will hit it off. And I gave them Aaron's phone number. Now I don't have to do anything. <laughs> They're about his age. Now, but it's not just his responsibility. Other young couples their age ought to zero in. Why? Because they identify with people their age, just like a teenager will identify with people their age. If an elderly person comes in, then Brother Joey ought to go and talk to them. 
People like to identify with others that are similar to them. And so I'm just saying, I think God wants us to be a whole house full of shepherds, sheepdogs, if you will, and have a shepherding ministry. Each one of us ought to have a ministry like a sheepdog or a shepherd. Go and gather them up and bring them in. Would you give us some consideration? Being a sheep herder and herd God's sheep, guide them lovingly, gently, but staying in the truth. And that's how we can maintain those that we might otherwise lose. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to be good shepherds. Lord, you said you were the great shepherd. Pastor's the under-shepherd, but we can all be shepherds. Lord, you left us with the job of being an ambassador, being a shepherd. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just keep that on our mind continually, every service, not just this week, not just during the Thanksgiving season, but as an ongoing thought in our mind, I need to be a shepherd. I need to be watching. Is somebody slipping away? Should I, should I go out and reach out, befriend them, show kindness, generosity, charity, and just love them back to the Lord, love them back to the house of God.